Uh, I'm not so for those of you I haven't met before, it'd be great to catch up sometime. Um, so I'm not so much tonight focusing on telling you about why we should read the Bible. I'm more focusing on telling you about my journey, about why I started reading it, how I read it, and how that's changed over my life. Um, it's developed. I also want to say that while I'm up here, I've said this before, but it's important to me to be clear that I am aware and that you are aware that I'm a regular human being and I don't always do things well and I don't always do the thing that I would recommend to others. My Bible reading journey has had highs and lows and I would acknowledge complete halts over the years. But I can tell you all these facts, but I will also tell you that reading the Bible really does matter to me deeply and I wouldn't speak about it if it didn't. And I do try my best to preach what I know and I also do very much try to practice what I preach. I want to tell you about how I started reading the Bible and what the journey has been like. And after all of that, really what I want to lead back to is tell you about how the Bible always really does bring me back to Jesus. So first I want to start with a story. So if I could have the slide of the cowrie shell up, that would be excellent. Um, do we have? Yep, great. So when I'm beachcombing at my parents' shack... It's my absolute favourite thing to do. Look for shells, that one in particular. When I search the beach for shells, God often speaks to me about treasure and treasure hunting. And while I'm looking through those shells, he often tells me really interesting things about that. And I preach little sermons to myself about them <laughs> while I'm looking for interesting things. So that, that shell behind me is one that we probably all know. It's a cowrie shell. And I don't mean to be boastful, but I'm really super good at finding them. <laughs> now, Jade, my husband, maybe is a little better than me at it, but don't tell him that. He doesn't need to know. Now, it's actually quite tricky because they're, they're distinctive. They're smooth. They have those little, little teethy sort of openings at the bottom with sort of spots along. So you would think they're very different than all the other Tasmanian shells. They would probably be quite easy to find, but they're not. There are some little tricky tricks that kind of help you to find them when you know what they are. But without those little tricks, you find that you go home empty-handed fairly often. So, a list of the tricks. First of all, cowrie shells don't sit in all the cluster of the other shells. They sit on their own um, a lot of the time where the little rocks are dotted about on the smooth, wet sand. And they often look like a rock, but they're not. Now, it's easy to miss them. You have to bend over and you have to turn it over because you recognise cowrie shells by their little toothy mouth and their spots, but you don't see that when they're on the beach. It's just a smooth back, so you have to turn them over, and then sometimes it's a cowrie. I used to read the Bible like I was looking for cowrie shells. That one special verse that would feel like the perfect thing for me today, the most comforting, most wise word, hidden in plain sight among all the other pages of the Bible. On the beach on a cowrie hunt, none of the other shells really matter. They're just the things that you sift through to get to the thing you're looking for. And when you find that one special shell, it keeps you, you know, it, it keeps you looking for the next one. If we could have the next slide, I do things differently now, both when I'm beachcombing and when I'm reading the Bible. I remember one day I painted a little painting called The Shells That Nobody Likes. They were little fragments of common shells, uh, broken shells, little whelks and cone snails and mussels. And when I shared it on social media, something that surprised me was that 
I'd found them interesting for a moment, but a lot of people love those shells uh, for all kinds of different reasons. They have beautiful colours. Some of them are broken and they give little windows into the inside spirals that you don't otherwise see. They're all sorts of interesting. They're amazing. And I started realising that all shells are amazing. They all have fabulous names if you know them, like striped conniewinks and checkered top shells and swollen pheasant tops and paper nautilus. And every shell tells stories of living creatures with complicated underwater lives. For Christmas, my sister gave me a book of shell identification and I love it. I'm learning all about things that I didn't know before. There's a kind of limpet that has a hole in the top and I always thought that that was always just broken. It was just a little weak limpet. But it's not. It's called a siphon top and there's a little creature that lives inside and that's how it gets its water. It sucks it in the top. It wasn't a hole. It's a design. So now I try and read the Bible like I hunt for shells. I'm not just interested in the big flashy declarations. I want to know, is that a hole or is that a design? Why are those words here? And what are they telling me about the big, big world of reality behind every verse? I remember reading the Bible a lot as a child. And my favorite thing to read is the Psalms. And I still love them because they're very me. They're very emotional and they have a lot of pictures. And they're a bit melodramatic, if I'll be honest. Um, but they're not hard to read for me. They make sense. But I also remember really wanting to know the whole Bible. I was, I was brought up in a Christian home and I remember thinking, this is important, it's cool. And so I waded happily into Genesis and Kings and Samuel and Daniel and I felt really confused about some of the things that I found there. I would gradually run out of steam deep in books that I didn't really understand. And then I would move to the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life and teaching the letters in the New Testament where things felt much more plainly put and more like what I heard in church. They kind of made sense. They were encouraging generally. And the Old Testament was to childhood me like a question mark. It wasn't all bad, but sometimes it really did feel like it was ruled over by a different God, one that didn't always give people a shot or a fair chance, a God who seemed to play favourites. And I was aware myself that I'm not an Israelite and the Old Testament gave childhood me this feeling that that meant something different for me that meant that maybe all of this didn't necessarily apply because I wasn't quite as special as them now that being said I really did still love my Bible even though some of it confused me I loved that it felt deep and important and grounding when sometimes that's hard to find something that feels significant and reassuring in, in many parts and I loved what God said about himself in it the clues that helped to understand where he was in the mess of all the people that kept making mistakes and ruining happy endings and turning them into unhappy endings it's interesting though because what I didn't understand about the Bible then is something I really appreciate about it now and what I didn't understand was about storytelling and the different forms of storytelling that we get used to reading. Uh, I'm a reader and I always have been and something I really have always enjoyed is fables and myths and like the Odyssey and the Arabian Nights and Aesop's fables. They're fascinating to me. These stories give you clues as to how to understand what you're reading. 
For example, in Greek mythology, when Athena turns up, you know that she's talking to someone who's going to end up being wise. And she's on the side, generally, of the winners. So when Athena is talking to someone, you know that they're probably going to come out all right in the end. She's with the good guys. And I can be fairly sure that in the Arabian Nights, if you get told in the beginning that a character is greedy and unkind and cheating, they're absolutely going to be killed in a nasty, nasty way. (laughs) In many Middle Eastern fairy tales, the very worst thing that you can be in a fairy tale is unhospitable and avaricious. And in Aesop's fables, choices and consequences are all clearly laid out. They did this and then this happened. And then you know why. They tell you something in the end that you can take away with you. But in the Bible, it took me a long time to realise what was missing in the Old Testament. I didn't just want to hear the story. I didn't want to just hear and saw through his spirit David and David ran away. I wanted to hear a judgment. I wasn't talking to you. I wanted to hear a judgment like, and that was bad of Saul, and God was annoyed at him. But it doesn't say that. It just keeps going with the story. It doesn't say when the judge Samson gives his people unclean honey to eat without telling them, which they would have not been very happy about at all. It didn't say that God wasn't encouraging that. That wasn't from him. And he was at some point going to tell Samson off because Samson wasn't in line. I used to read the Bible thinking God was supporting what his people did and getting confused when his people messed up. But what I didn't realise was that, um, oh sorry, I kept wondering why on earth he picked these sketchy characters to work in. I wanted to see people proving worthy of the calling that God had given them. Now, what I was really looking for was what the scholar Joseph Campbell might call the hero's journey. When there's a hero in a story, we expect them to get a calling and then become transformed and then meet adversity and then overcome the adversity and then come home as a hero. And that's the happy ending. But the thing that's been a real game changer in my Bible reading journey has been realising that the Bible is not a fable or a myth or a teaching story. Although Jesus does give us some of those, it's a real account. It's true which means that there's some strange additions in it weird little details that sometimes seem to be there for no reason I don't believe that there is anything there for no reason but I think that it's because it's not a made-up story they that the Bible is a messy ongoing account of all the stuff that happens in a situation and have you ever read the part where it says in Mark 14 51 A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. And then it just keeps on going. (laughs) What What on earth is going on here? You can actually look up and there is a whole bunch of articles about was Mark talking about a kid fugitive and you can find out all sorts of things. People have opinions about maybe that was Mark talking about himself. I'm not going to ask questions. Um, I don't know about it but feel free to go and research it if you're interested but what I do think is that nobody bothers to make up that kind of stuff when they're telling a story that's a purpose that just says sit down and behave yourself that stuff's in there because it happened it was real reality is wild and so some of the bible is wild 
And it means that instead of perfectly noble heroes who deserve the wisdom and divine help that they're given and reward us with happy endings, we get Samson. And he messes up nearly everything. And we get David, who we think he's doing a great job. And then he does a really terrible job for a long time and then gets absolutely hammered by suffering. And then he becomes really old and then he dies. And that doesn't feel like the happy ending that we were hoping for when we see him hit down Goliath. He's a real human, David, and so is Samson. God is dealing with real humans and their stories are real. So this means I now read the Bible differently. I no longer look at the narrator of the book to tell me where God stands on all this stuff. I search for what God says about himself within it. That's the key to understanding all that mess. And knowing that even in all the weird, odd places, we can be sure that we may not understand why things were the way they were, but we can be sure that God holds himself to what he says about himself. So when I don't know what I'm looking at in the Bible, when something comes up and it just doesn't sit well with me or I don't understand it, I have these mental boxes that I put things in to help me to sort through. The first box, it's in, there, there are about four groups roughly. The first box is, I think I'm missing a piece. So those are for things like things that just don't make sense. They have weird language or there's a response to something that just doesn't seem like I understand everything and it seems out of place within the text. So that's one of the boxes I can put information in. Another one of the boxes is, there must be another explanation. That's when stories will tell you something that makes God seem really mean or cruel or unfair or downright bloodthirsty. That's hard. But I put that in, there must be another explanation because that's not the God I know. And so when someone you love is being misrepresented, the first thing that you don't do is call the police. The first thing you do is say there must be another explanation because I know this person now the next box is this can wash over me I'll come back later and I'm, I'm looking at you wheels wheels going this way and that way and with, with, with eyes on them and things you know the, the book of Daniel has got a bunch of talking horns and stuff And when I look at that, I think I'm confused by the sheer amount of I don't know. And so I might just come back to that later because I don't think it affects my life right now. And you can enjoy those for for the the weirdness of it. You know, a bit of mysticism is interesting. and, And I believe, again, there's a meaning behind it, but we don't need to know everything all at once. And then the last box is the God clues. And they're like the cipher to everything else. That's the parts where God tells me who he is, what he's feeling, why he does something, and what he cares about. These are the things that I hold on to much more strongly than any impression that I have of something that might be cultural, that might be something I misunderstand, that might be something, you know, else. But that stuff is solid. And, I mean, when a prophet says, this is the word of the Lord that's a big deal. It's written in the Bible. It's precious when he says something. The Bible isn't, is nothing as much as it is a grand story about the personality and nature of God shining through the messy human stuff in bright contrast 
Now, the lowest part of my reading journey, and I'm sorry, Jake, but it was marriage. (laughs) It's not his fault. I'll say that first up. I was 22 and I had a pretty good solid reading habit and I kept on going with it. But when I, was a hus- when I had a husband, the problem was there was always something to do. I didn't really realise, but I did a lot of my bedroom worship and my Bible reading and stuff because I was bored. <laughs> and so it was easy to kind of keep some kind of habit. But I had someone that I could talk to and in the first couple of years argue with. And so I was always pretty busy. I love you, Jade. He's a wonderful husband. But I found that I gradually stopped my habit of worshipping and reading the Bible because I felt like we were a team. And I didn't realise, but I was kind of expecting maybe Jade would parent me and he would say at some point, it's time for you to read your Bible or let's do it together or you need to push into God. I've noticed you've been slipping, but he's actually not my dad. He's just my husband and that's wonderful, but I'm glad he's not my dad. You know, let's not go in there. Um... But I learned in time that without regular Bible reading, my passion for God just kind of waned. It turned down and it turned down and I just became okay with less. And I was becoming okay with less at a rapid rate. And that came to this conclusion about five years into my marriage that I was wasting my life and I wasn't the Christian that I'd seen in churches that I wanted to be. And so I needed to do something differently. And the Bible was the first place I went back to. And it's amazing how it just dialed up the fire for God again. It dialed up my desire to have more Jesus in my life. It actually made me more discontent with how far away he felt because it was me that had wandered away. And um, the Bible helped to bring me back. It was really wonderful how it happened. Now, I've never been very methodical. So I just want you to know that I've read some parts of the Bible, lots and lots and lots, because they're nice. And... Other parts I have maybe not read all of. I'm not sure. I actually don't know. But I suspect that there's lots of bits and pieces that I've never actually been to, which hurts. That, I, that makes me sad. So for that reason, I'm doing a reading plan. Now, my reading plan I love because it's five days a week and it's a big chunk of reading. That suits me. But there are many different types of reading plans uh, and as many as there are personalities. So that's what works for me. And I've learned that I don't need to just hurry after every method that comes in fashion or that everyone's doing. I just do my thing. I'm going very slowly. I'm probably not going to get through the Bible in a year. I think it will be maybe three to four years, but I will get there. And uh, I just plod, plod, plod. It's now just about me wanting to make sure that it's in me and that I know it. And that's, you know, simple. So just recently, I've been plod, plod, plodding through Leviticus. And I've been going really slowly and trying my best to understand why the rules were in place and maybe to to spice it up, I've been trying to imagine what it would be to to be a Levite. So I'm like, okay, so you need this thigh and you wave it and then you put it on the altar and you get to eat that, but that's my bit. Um, And, you know, it's really boring, but it's also kind of interesting. So, yeah, it it was a bit dry, but I was fine. prepared I'm doing a share and then I found out at my 13 week scan that my baby had died this is pretty fresh and trust you hold, hold this don't it's okay you know this is just life it's not good and it felt like at that time and it's still really it's fresh <laughs> it does feel like the bottom but the world had dropped away from me. The U version Bible app is not my favourite. 
I have never moved it on from the King's James, the King James Version because I quickly realised I didn't like online phone Bible. I just feel like I'm lost. I don't know where I am. I'm a physical paper person. So I never read it. But on the day I found out my baby was gone, new version popped up with a little reminder that I always ignore and it suggested I read the daily reading. And I went, you know what? I'm not going to say no. I knew I needed something. So I opened the Bible and guess what the reading of the day was? If you know your Bible, Psalm 139 is probably not what I want to read that day. But the thing was, it was different because it was a different translation. I'm used to it saying, you have created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It was just that verse. It was just verse 13. By the way, week 13, verse 13, it's kind of like God likes numbers (laughs) when he said that, and I agree. (laughs) But it wasn't that. It read for me that day in the New King James Version. For you have possessed my reins. You have covered me in my mother's womb. Sorry, you guys are so used to me crying now. Um, Wow. Now, the word reigns, I think, I've Googled. I'm not saying that's the deepest authority, but it suggests that that word, it was a word that they used for kidneys, which sounds weird, but when you think about it, they have those little strings. (laughs) And that just made, it was so beautiful, because it just made me think, that was God holding this baby from the inside and guiding them. They weren't lost. I know where they are. And covering the shadow that fell over them was God. The enemy can do a lot while we're alive, but he can't take it when God's got something. God's got my baby. And that's just what I needed to hear, but I never would have gone looking for it. I wouldn't have known that that's what I needed to hear. I felt like I've discovered that there are two types of Bible learning. There's the good-willed, learning-focused, slow, meditative absorption of the Bible. It's like that just chew, chew, chew away at Leviticus and take what you can get from it and just work on the habit as well and just value what's in front of you. But then there's the other part, which is when the Bible comes to get you. (laughs) And you never know when it will happen. But I do know that when I have a need or a worry or a question, the Bible comes for me. And I've learnt that it can only come for me if I let it. It's the slow chewing of the Bible that puts it in our path when we really need it. When disaster strikes, the first thing that you generally do is not necessarily try and think of all the memory verses that you've memorised. If there's an around us, and if they are, they are. We need to keep them we need to keep the Bible in us and around us and near us because that's when it can get at you. It's the air hose. The Bible is like that air hose when you're diving that brings you air. When it's actually the rubber hits the road and things get serious and we start to suffocate, it's the life-giving air that goes into you and saves your life. In a hospital, mainly because I was doing this message and so I've been trying to really read my Bible lots and lots so I could be authentic. I brought my Bible with me. I shoved it in my handbag and I was reading it while things were horrible. And I read 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 to 6 and 8 to 10 as well. There's a bit in the middle. It doesn't matter. I'm sure it's great, but I'm just saying I skipped out a bit. You are all children of the light and children of the day. This is deep in the nighttime in a hospital. 
We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake. Well, I was awake, awake and sober. And then eight to 10. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that awake or asleep, we may live together with him. It's in the fulfillment of Jesus that the Bible comes into full view, full clarity. We do not have a God who changes. We just had to wait until Jesus could fully reveal him. Look at the Old Testament through the lens of the perfect love we can see expressed in this letter. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. That's a big claim. That changes everything. Two things I cling to in the Bible is the understanding that through Jesus we have the commentary that we so desperately needed that tells us how God feels about the suffering and evil he sees around us and even in us. And secondly, God wants us to receive. He wants us to know. In Habakkuk 2, it says, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits the appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The Bible has been brought to us so we can know God, so that through Jesus we can be with him. And it isn't meant to confuddle, confute or hide. It is made to be understood. Though it takes time to understand, we can wait for understanding. We can ask questions and we can muse. And we can even let things alone for another time. If we wait for God's understanding, it will come. And as I learned last week, it will come just at the right time. So I just want to, it's a pretty simple application. Don't have to worry about how we apply this. Get your Bible out and read it. Don't put pressure on yourself to be so spiritual that it brings a light shining down on you and everything changes. It's not like that. But it will save your life and it will mold you into somebody who looks a lot like Jesus if you let it. That's what it's about. And so however you can go, if it's running or crawling, get into the Bible and do what you can to put it into your heart. So I just want to pray for you. Father God, I just want to thank you for the amazing gift that your word is to us. How amazing that even when we all find ourselves complaining that you do not speak, that the words are written down forever so we can always have them. I'm a words person, God. Thank you for your words. Lord, I pray that you would motivate us, that the tug and push and pull that the world says that it doesn't matter, you shouldn't read it, that you should scroll your phone, release it over our, off our hearts. I pray that you would get rid of the habits that stop us from opening your word and letting it heal us. Father, I pray that you would help us to get into it more, that we would hide it in our hearts and it would come out when it matters. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.